Hello, this is episode 296 and in it, I'm talking with Jessica Allen from Climashore. So Climashore is a team of design and construct professionals who have a strong desire to ensure that the Australian building stock is created with the correct knowledge, detailing and construction technique, informing decisions to produce healthy buildings and peace of mind. Jessica is passionate about air tightness, condensation management, correctly detailing buildings and as-built verification opportunities to ensure that you're getting the right outcome on site. And across this and the next episode, she's going to help us understand more about how you can achieve this in your new build or renovation project. Jess is fantastic at providing actionable information that will empower you to structure your team and your project progress so you can set yourself up for success when creating a well-performing home. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 296. That's the numbers 296. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Now, before I jump into my conversation with Jessica, let me just take a moment to introduce you to her. So Jess is a building designer who took a very early interest in focusing on function and performance, and her career started with code compliance. So NATO's ratings, the other complexities of the energy efficiency section of the National Construction Code, and it grew to include air tightness consulting, 
blower door testing for both uh, and for both residential and commercial buildings. Now, Jess is both a certified passive house designer and she's a Wolfie professional. And her passion for building performance has snowballed over the years. And she's now entrenched in building science because she believes this is where the real difference can be made, both to building occupants and to our planet. So whether you're a homeowner, a builder or an architect, Climashore aim to help you reduce the risks that have been ingrained into the Australian building industry. And Climashore believe that the current standards are doing their best, but there is still a long way to go before the minimum NCC or National Construction Code provisions actually create healthy, durable and energy efficient buildings. So let's jump into my conversation with Jess Well, now. it is so awesome to have you here today, Jess. I am super excited to be bringing you onto the podcast. You're somebody who I've heard on on podcast episodes. I've you know read your blog, your social media for Climate Show is fantastic. And so it's really awesome to actually be here on Zoom and be able to introduce you to the Undercover Architect community, particularly for anybody who isn't aware of the incredible work that you do uh, to educate and advocate in the industry. So thank you so much for being here. And I want to just dive straight straight in first before we jump into the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about, just to learn a little bit more, if you could just give us a bit more background about yourself and how you've actually ended up in the work that you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Hi, Amelia, and thank you very much for having me. I started out doing building design and very quickly, they incorporate sustainability subjects into that, into that course, and very quickly that became the thing that I wanted to learn about. I've been, I've had engineering and construction in my family since I was little, but I did come into this later in life. Uh, so yeah, I'd had my children by the time I decided to take this career path and um, yeah, I started the design stuff and it just sort of exploded in front of me. Um, I learned about so much so quickly from earthships to tiny homes to special little plugs you can install in your um, plumbing to divert cold water so and that cold water diverts back into your rainwater tank so you're not wasting it like just little things um, incredible buildings that had been built in in Melbourne and Sydney and just so many things and so that was that became my my mission to learn more about that and to work in that space rather than designing that wasn't really it, it became much less of a passion very quickly. So um, I also had a really good teacher um, who mentored me and introduced me to a group here in Adelaide called the Adelaide Sustainable Building Network. And I met a lot of people um, through that. And yeah, it just, it, it was a, it's a rabbit hole and I went down. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I think it is a rabbit hole and it takes a certain person to sort of jump in, jump in feet first and, and really try and lift the lid on all of the information. Cause I know that's what a lot of homeowners contend with is they feel they scratch, start to scratch the surface and just more and more unravels about all of the things that you kind of need to know. So, you know, when there's people like you in the industry who really are committed to uncovering it, it's fantastic. Now, I'm going to talk through some of those key areas that I know that you are passionate about. So there's air tightness, condensation management, correctly detailing buildings. There's as-built verification opportunities as well to ensure that you're getting the right outcome. So I want to sort of unpack some of these one by one. The first one is to talk about air tightness and why air tightness is so important. Can you share a little bit of information about that? Because obviously air tightness is one of those things that 
you know, we we talk about, and it's and and particularly during this, you know, collection of episodes, it's 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 a, a a word that keeps coming up and coming up. And I think a lot of Australians, in particular, think, well, I don't need my home to be airtight because you know it's not the climate's not that bad, and we want our homes to breathe and all of this kind of stuff. Why is airtightness and knowing about airtightness um, so important? Airtightness is one of those things. It's really the underpinning element of any energy efficient building um, in any place in the world, regardless of climate. Um, If you have a house or a a structure that is leaking air in and out of the gaps and cracks that aren't really meant to be there, um, then you're losing energy. You're reheating and cooling air that shouldn't be inside your building. You are allowing dust and pollutants in. Um, through those gaps and cracks, vermin, cockroaches, spiders, mice, and you're really losing a lot of control over your indoor environment. So in Australia, we don't, it hasn't really been a topic. It's not been included in the building code until very recently. It's not a thing that, it's not a thing that is top of mind for most homeowners. Um, We put draft stoppers, we put snakes under our doors and seals on our on our around our doors and things like that pretty basic stuff but most of it goes unacknowledged and homeowners and builders aren't really aware of the impact of that so yeah it's it's really it's a first and foremost i think it's a thermal comfort issue drafts no one likes drafts um, and then it becomes an energy efficiency issue and a health an occupant health issue as well that's yeah it's a it's Fantastic to kind of hear you sum it up like that because it does get underestimated just how significantly it can impact our comfort in our home and our health in our home. How do you go about achieving air tightness and what risks do you need to be aware of as you dive into it? Because obviously a lot of builders, I think, will will go, okay, fine, we'll make an airtight home. We'll just make sure that the plasterboard's really well installed and we'll silicon every joint and we'll make sure that everything's corked and it's all tickety-boo. But, you know, what what are what are the ways that people can think about achieving air tightness and then what might be the on-flow impact if they don't do it the correct way or they do it really, really well, but they haven't built in the mechanisms that, to protect themselves as part of that? Yeah, so there's a scale of air tightness. It's not one or the other. It's not, you know, not airtight or airtight. There's a scale between, you know, the passive house requirement is the lowest mandated sort of requirement for air tightness and 0.6 air changes. Um, up to, you know, in my experience, your average Australian home, 8, 10, 12 air changes per hour um, and more than that as well. I've seen them upward of sort of 18 to 20 air changes per hour and that reference, just to explain for your listeners what that means, um, that is a number that is recorded using a blower door fan and it's recorded at 50 pascals. So it's air changes per hour but it's not it's under a pressure, a wind pressure of about, of about 30 kilometres an hour. So all of the air in your home is being fully replaced, for example, eight times per hour at 50 pascals. So that's not at your normal ambient air pressure. Um, your question about sealing up the plasterboard, that is essentially when you're designing or building a house or renovating a house and you want it to be airtight, you have to identify what the air barrier is going to be. So in most homes, that is the plasterboard layer. Um, Or if it's a double brick or reverse brick veneer home, that would be the brick. Whatever your internal layer is, is usually the air barrier. Unless you're going very high performance and you're using all sorts of membranes, 
in that case, the layer behind the plasterboard where the membrane is, that's your air barrier. So caulking up all the gaps and cracks around your plumbing, electrical, um, making sure you've got exhaust fan dampers in, making sure there's no leaks behind your, um, no air gaps behind your skirting boards or your corners, and especially around your windows and the architraves around your windows. That is the best way, the simplest way to ensure that you don't have any air leaks. And that what we recommend people do is actually draw a line around your air barrier. We call it the red pen test. It can be any color pen. It doesn't have to be red, but it's physically getting out your floor plan and your section drawings and drawing a line and passing that document around your building site. Because the builders and trades and carpenters and electricians all need to know that air tightness is an intention in this project. And if they punch any holes in that air barrier, they need to fix them. Um, so it's all about communication between the design and the construct teams to make sure that that actually happens. It has happened on occasion where builders have created a structure that is too airtight when they use really, really good windows um, and they install all the right door seals and they install exhaust fan dampers and they do a really, really good job. That's fantastic, except it's if it's done by accident and there's no blow door test done and there's no awareness of the occupant or the builder as to how much um, how tight that structure actually is, it can cause issues with indoor air quality if it's not ventilated properly. So the saying in our industry is build tight, ventilate right. So basically you build your structure to a certain level of air tightness and then you ventilate it accordingly. So the commonly accepted level where you need to introduce mechanical ventilation in the form of a, a, a heat recovery system is three air changes per hour. So you can go anywhere down to that level and just use your windows and your doors to ventilate. When we speak about air tightness as well, it is really important to understand that airtight doesn't mean that the occupants are going to suffocate or have any adverse health outcomes because you're building airtight, providing you get a blower door test, understand where your airtightness level is sitting and ventilate appropriately. So if you get three air changes or above, then uh, your natural ventilation through those gaps and cracks, as well as opening and closing your doors and windows, is a perfectly appropriate way to ventilate your home. Below three air changes is when you would really need to install a mechanical heat recovery ventilation system. And that system is a constant supply of fresh air and it extracts the stale or moist air from your kitchen and wet areas. And it exchanges heat and cool from what's going on inside the building. So it's a, it's a very energy efficient way of ventilating a home. So you don't have to open windows and let that outdoor conditioned, the outdoor conditions come in and impact you inside. Um, yeah, so opening windows is, we all like the outdoors, we all like fresh air, um, but it does mean that your conditioned air is escaping straight outside. Um, and if it's a really cold day, or a really hot day that might not be ideal so these are the sorts of conditions that um, the sorts of things that sort of like the line in the sand that we draw um, but a blow test is really important to get done so that you it's it just puts a number on something that's invisible and it really arms you with the right information to mitigate your risks Fantastic. We're going to talk a bit more about blow-door tests in a minute because I know that this is something that you do at, at Climashore and it's a really great way to get some of that as-built verification process sort of happening in during construction. Um, just in regards to that, 
the the NCC 2022, does it have that five air changes per hour? I recall seeing that at five ch- air changes per hour, that's the point at which now they're kicking in the requirement to have mechanical recovery ventilation. I know that in the past there's been kind of differences of opinions in the industry and that three air changes has been kind of the thing. But do you know, I, I know that it's being adopted at different at different rates around the country, but um, from memory, the National Construction Code 2022 was bringing in that five air changes per hour as the benchmark of where mechanical recovery ventilation needs to be installed. Am I correct? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I believe so. There has been some ongoing discussion. I haven't heard anything other than three for quite some time. Um, five, when I first started doing this stuff, I think that was talked about. But the, the more leaky the envelope is, the less efficient your HRV system is. So it's also it's also about the efficiency of, of the of the system you're installing and they're not cheap so if you are going to install one you want to make sure that it's going to be effective that's great that's actually a really great tip to sort of think about that hand in hand that you're not just aiming for kind of the benchmark of what's when it kicks in but actually the more airtight you can get it the more efficient that unit's going to be able to operate yeah because if you if you've got if you've got a leaky envelope then your internal conditions are, are not stable enough to really be controlled efficiently by that system so you're getting too much influence from outside fantastic and then can you talk about obviously what happens there's the issue of course with air tightness and us making really very airtight homes that uh, has been the problem in New Zealand and Canada in terms of like your building syndrome and that type of thing just what what people can set up for themselves if they obviously aren't using well, I've had people just go where, you know, I'm just instructing my builder to make things as airtight as possible. They're doing X, Y, and Z in order to achieve that, but then they're not understanding what the negative consequences of that might be. And also, you know, as you say, like not knowing the data of how airtight it's become and then installing the mechanical recovery ventilation or the heat recovery ventilation. What can be those those actually damaging kind of consequences that, that people might be uh, signing themselves up for if they don't sort of set up these processes properly and the detailing properly? Increase CO2 levels is obviously one. You know, if you go to sleep in your bedroom and you shut the door and your window's shut and you're breathing all night and your partner's breathing all night or whatever and you wake up in the morning, if you've got a CO2 monitor in that bedroom, you'll find that the CO2 levels spike. So you would likely find that in um, in the whole of your house if it was a very airtight house and it wasn't properly ventilated. So then you'd have to get up first thing in the morning and open all the windows. It could be six degrees outside or less, depending on where you are. So yeah, one of those things would be increased CO2. Um, another thing that can happen with increased building code requirements for energy efficiency, increased window performance, increased insulation performance is the relative humidity inside can increase. And if you have any cold spots in your home, whether that's unthermally broken aluminium window frames, um, any steel framing members in your, like any steel beams, if you've got a steel framed home that are highly thermally conductive and they're not, they haven't got any thermal breaks installed. If you've got thermal bridges in your house and you've got a high warm and high humid conditions inside, then you can, um, your the, the surface of your plasterboard can reach the dew point. So it can cool to a point where the humidity in the air condensates and creates creates a mold risk over time if that wall system can't dry out so or you, you get rain you know dripping down the inside of your of your window frames so um, that's not ideal and it means that you can just dry them with a cloth but that's a real pain to do that every every single winter morning so yeah this the co2 isn't isn't ideal for health and concentration 
and the condensation and mold risk is is you know not good either yeah and that's when you start to need to introduce obviously condensation management devices in the way that you put your wall construction together so that you're creating that vapor permeability so then it can go into the ventilated cavity and and dry it you're not really you're not just sitting letting all that moisture just sit on your plasterboard and as you say cause that mold over time yeah you just gotta you gotta eliminate or reduce your thermal bridging as much as you can and allow the vapor to um because vapor will go through plasterboard and insulation but it will stop if it gets to an impermeable surface and then it will condensate inside your wall instead which is even worse so yeah yeah. Um, can we dive into blower door tests? Because I know I've never spoken about these in detail on the podcast. Um, and I know that this is something that you actually do for um, builders that you work with in terms of going on site and running blower door tests. How how can you actually talk through what it involves and what the process is and when it's best to occur in, in a project in terms of people planning this into their construction process? Absolutely. So the best time to plan a blood or test is right at the start before you've put pen to paper for your design. <laughs> um, if you're planning an airtight structure, that really needs to be a part of your design brief. It can be sort of tacked on later, but it's it can be harder with detailing and things like that, depending, of course, on the level that you're going to. So the airtightness gets put into the design. And then when... Um, a, a lot of homeowners or builders will come to me when they're about to start building and they'll say, we want to get a blow door test done. Can I get a quote? Sometimes it won't be until the house is nearly at handover and they'll want a blow door test. But essentially, the homeowner or builder will send me their set of plans. I'll have a look. I'll think of a little bit of a test plan. I'll measure up the building for the volume and the surface area um, to sort of size up the house because um, that information is important for the final result. So we take a big fan to the to the house and it gets installed in an external doorway, usually the front door or sometimes the garage door, and we depressurize the house to that 50 pascal level I mentioned before, and the fan will suck air out of the house and it will depressurize to 50 pascals and what that does is because it's a negative pressure inside the home it will draw air in through all the gaps and cracks in the house and we can actually go around and feel them um, we can use a smoke machine or a smoke pen to visually identify those leaks we use a thermal camera as well to to um the first time i saw uh, an exhaust fan damp uh, an exhaust fan without a damper on it under negative pressure was just all this hot air from the roof just billowing into the house and it was just it was a real eye open at that day <laughs> and I can imagine looking at that through thermal imaging as well <laughs> to be yeah. able to see those kinds of spots on the thermal imaging yeah that's right that's right um so air leaks underneath the doorway look like splashes of paint so we look for we looked like if it needs a fairly it needs a, at least a five probably seven degree indoor outdoor temperature difference for that thermal imaging to actually show up properly um, so it's really effective in winter if you can have a like heat the home and then draw all the cold air in and get some nice pretty pictures so yeah we depressurize the house 50 pascals and then we physically go around to each external surface around the floor the windows the ceiling and just identify every single leak that we can find so they're usually plumbing plumbing penetrations electrical penetrations windows 
doors, and like I said earlier, um, skirting boards, architraves, corners, those sorts of things. There's some fairly sort of common culprits that we look for, um, and other times we'll find really bizarre stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it can be a fun little little detective game to go around and find all the leaks. And, um, yeah, the homeowners usually really, really enjoy the process too. And so can you do this, say you're renovating and you want to understand how airtight your existing home is before you embark on kind of rectification and, and remediation methods to improve the thermal performance of your home. Can you do this in a fully furnished house with all of your, your objects and all of those kinds of things in the house? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, 50 pascals is not of any danger to anyone. It won't disrupt any anything, any pictures on the wall or anything like that. Um, you can you can blow a, tor- blow a door test any house, any building, if you've got the, the sufficient equipment. So existing houses, we do plenty of those. We often do a before and an after. The, the homeowners will want to know what their existing home is and then they'll want to know what improvements they made. Or we can just test the extension if there's a, like a separation between the two. Um, it's a really effective and easy to use tool and it's very repeatable. And under when a house is under construction, because I know obviously with Passive House, they get it done before, they get it with the membrane and so they don't wait for the plasterboard to go on. They want to make sure that the membrane is the air barrier and then the plasterboard then can go in and that not be relied on. So, yeah, but obviously is it about you determining what you're choosing the air barrier is as to when you then make the call to get that blower door test to see if that air barrier is performing as to your expectations? Is that sort of how you need to figure it out? And back to that kind of thing at the design stage of you making decisions about that and what you're choosing to be your air barrier? Yeah, that's right. Um, so the passive house tests that that membrane is the air barrier. So before the plasterboard goes on and before that membrane gets hidden, and also because the passive house has to get down to 0.6 air changes, they need to know, they need to find the leaks before the plasterboard actually goes on. The plasterboard is sort of cosmetic really in a, in a passive house. So, but in a standard home that is using the plasterboard as the air barrier, then you can't really test until just about handover time because there's electrical power points hanging off the wall still. There's data cables that haven't been properly fixed on. There's, um, there's you know, whoops, the carpet to put a hole there and then fix the, fix the power point here and it's still open. Um, sometimes doors aren't even on when I rock up sometimes. You know, there's all sorts of... Um, light fittings in the in the ceiling the down lights aren't properly fitted yet there's all sorts of things that happen right at the end of a project right before handover and we can we can use tape and we can go around and tape up things to um, simulate the the idea that they are finished but it's very time consuming and also the tape sometimes comes off Um, so when door seals aren't on properly there's still a lot of dirt on the floor and we try to tape it up and it doesn't adhere properly and yeah, it's a it's a bit of a pain. It's not super accurate. So, but on the other hand, you don't want to have have had handover and your builder to be gone off off onto their next job, and you're left with a whole bunch of defects that they you would like them to fix. So, you sort of have to have that blow door test done as soon as as soon as you can towards handover to make sure that you're you can still hold your builder accountable for fixing those things. But yeah, you can't really get it done any earlier than that because there's just too many, there's still too many holes. Yeah, gotcha. And I think too, if you are planning on, you know, it's that whole thing about how you embed it contractually as well in the relationship between the client and the builder. If you're going to hold your builder to account over a blower door test result, then you 
need to probably actually stipulate what blower, like what air pressure you're actually aiming for so that you've got a benchmark that they're, um, because otherwise then it just becomes quite subjective. Do you see homeowners doing that? Do you see them sort of contractually requiring their builder to make, you know, six air changes per hour, five air changes per hour, whatever, and including it in their contract in traditional builds and then using the blower door test to actually provide some accountability or, you know, do you not see it being as sort of well thought out as that um, in the process at the moment? I see some people requiring that. You'll get a, it's a pretty brave builder who will commit to a certain level of air tightness in this sort of Australian climate. Jackson Digney, who owns Enduro Builders, who also owns Climashore, has a set of, he's got like a, a, a bronze, a silver, gold, and a passive house sort of standard that he builds through. And he will guarantee a certain level of air tightness for all of those level, all of those categories. Um, but that's because he's been doing this for years and he knows exactly what he's doing and he's got it down to a fine art. Most, I have had other builders, particularly if they're installing an HRV, you need to get below three. That goes into the contract. Most most homeowners understand that once they speak to their HRV specialist. It's, it is an increasing awareness on the part of the homeowners to ask for this stuff. I, I, would, I would recommend that homeowners do stipulate, like specify an air tightness level in their contract or at least have a conversation with, with your builder about it you have to find a builder who knows what it is and understands the process and then you can then you can safely specify and everyone understands the process and, and you can get on board I don't know how many of your listeners have builders that understand what a blow door test is and, and how to achieve air tightness so I don't want to go and say yes go on specify their tightness <laughs> level and, and have everyone fighting with their builders um, but, but it's, it's a great way isn't it if it's something that you are really you know it's something that's critical for you in your build and you're wanting to understand it from a data point of view, then that's, you know, you are, you are going to bring, need to bring the right team on board in order to achieve it. So it can be a good opportunity for you to flesh out in the interview phase. Is this builder going to be the right fit? Do they even know what this is? Are they willing? I mean, there's, there are builders who don't know. And yet when their client brings it with their potential client brings it to them and they sort of explain why it's like, Oh, actually, no, let me educate myself. And if we can get access to one and, you know, I've seen obviously then people builders then turn around and they've actually then bought the blower door kit and they've, you know, they've dived down the rabbit hole because they've realized, Oh, this is actually the answer to me figuring this out and getting this right. So it is, um, it's one of those things, but it's, yeah, I'm just interested to see. I know I've had home method members who have been specifying uh, that they wanted to get below. They weren't doing passive house, but they were using a lot of passive house techniques in the construction of their home. So they were looking at vapor permeable membranes and those kinds of things. And so, um, and they'd worked with builders who were on board. And so the blower door test had been a requirement and then they'd had, we just need to get below this level. So anything better than that was, you know, was going to be great. And that, like you said, was all then also then linked to mechanical recovery ventilation systems and um, getting those to perform. So it's, it, it is, and it is, like you say, a lot of homeowners sort of guiding these conversations and, and having, um, being more informed about it. It's really exciting to see. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Jessica. So I do hope that you found that super helpful. I really love Jess's point about ensuring that when you're seeking to achieve a benchmark of air tightness, then considering mechanical or recovery ventilation in your home, 
that and you're putting those two things together to remember that the more airtight you are, the more efficiency that you'll gain from the performance of that mechanical recovery ventilation system. So super important to understand that relationship and to be able to test and measure that as well. Now, as an aside, I recently listened to a really great podcast episode uh, on Steve Bartlett's Diary of a CEO. I don't know if you listened to it. I think it's actually number one business podcast in uh, in the UK, but he do, he's diving into a lot around health and those kinds of things um, on there as well. And he did a really good episode with James Nestor. So James is a journalist and a best-selling author, and he released a book called Breath in June of 2022. And I actually read that book earlier this year. I highly recommend it, just as an aside. Um, and the reason that I'm mentioning it is because during this podcast interview that I recently listened to, James actually had a carbon dioxide meter in the studio whilst he was talking with Steve. And he discussed what happens to our cognitive functioning and health when our when the CO2 levels get above 800 parts per million. Um, and he discussed airtight spaces and spaces where windows don't open, such as hotels, office buildings and planes, and where they don't have natural ventilation happening through other means. And and it was that 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 meter was climbing well over 800 parts per million in a podcast studio that was just being run with an air conditioning unit. And it's fascinating to hear the science behind what higher carbon dioxide levels actually do to us health-wise. And, you know, I think as we have more and more conversations about creating airtight homes, this is going to be a necessary consideration. Just as, you know, we've been talking about uh, condensation and the management of condensation and those kinds of things. This, you know, what what we're actually doing with the quality of the indoor air and the carbon dioxide levels also becomes super important. So this doesn't mean that you, you don't create an airtight home, okay? Hopefully if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll see that having a home that's not airtight means that you just won't be able to control what comes in and out of your home uh, and any artificial heating and cooling that you're doing will just dissipate to outside. And that's a huge waste and it's also, you know, difficult to manage and moderate your internal air temperature and your internal air quality when you're not controlling this. But, you know, this is the thing. If you actually don't know how airtight your home is, uh, then you won't know if, if, if in fact you are creating serious risks for yourself by not including any recovery ventilation or vapor permeable membranes, you know, both with those carbon dioxide levels that I mentioned and with the condensation management as well. Now, in the next episode, you'll hear part two where Jess will discuss more tools that can be used as an as-built verification process during your build so that you can confirm during construction that your home is being built as per your design intentions and your specifications. So we don't have an as-built verification process in construction and the tests and the checks that get done during construction are not an as-built verification process for all parts of your build. Uh, Passive House is the only thing that has an as-built verification process um, as part of its delivery. So it's going to be really good for you to hear some of those things that you can do so you can you can actually include them in your process uh, to achieve that outcome of that as-built verification. Now she's also going to share some other helpful tips that'll help you manage risk of condensation and improve your build quality overall. A few reminders before I finish up. Now remember if you'd like a full transcript of this episode you can grab the free download of it by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 296. There's some extra resources to find Climashore and um, there's also a link to that interview with James Nestor on Diary of a CEO. If you're a like-minded industry professional located anywhere, and I mean anywhere around the world, 
uh, I just want to shout out to you and please invite you if you're listening to this podcast and it resonates with you and you feel like you're aligned with the message there's the messages that we share here on Undercover Architect and how we help Undercover Architect community members um, please check out the UA Army it's something that I'm building to help homeowners it's free to join and you can find it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army that's A-R-M-Y and of course, if you'd like more structured help and guidance to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in, then my flagship program, Home Method, is definitely the place for you. You'll join a community of amazing and super informed homeowners on a similar journey to you. And you'll also access my personalized support and guidance in your project. It's the only place that you can access that. So. You can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au and also to the Undercover Architect website. There's a link there in the menu at the top. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.